Good morning. We'll take your Bibles or your devices and go to Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17 this morning. Luke chapter 9. And even though we're continuing on in our series on Luke here, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I think this still lends itself to the thoughts of Thanksgiving. We come today to an investigation of one of the more widely known miracles in Jesus' life, which is the feeding of the 5,000 plus. (laughs) The fact that all four gospel writers record this event indicates something of its importance. This is the only event in Jesus' life prior to the triumphal entry that received such treatment from all four gospel writers. It is with this miracle that Jesus' ministry in Galilee reaches its climax. Immediately after this, his popularity with the multitude began to decrease. That's not to say that his ministry in Galilee lost all of its effectiveness at that time, because it didn't. There's still other notable things that will take place in the region of Galilee, other highlights during the next six months, like the feeding of the 4,000, Peter's confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the transfiguration that Peter, James, and John got to witness those things still are going to take place. But yet Jesus was never again the, the focal point of such widespread interest and enthusiasm. And there were several reasons, I think, for his popularity right at this specific time of this miracle. I mean, what did we look at last week? How Jesus sent them off to go out and preach about the kingdom and to tell people to repent. And he gave them the power and the authority to drive out demons and to heal people of sicknesses. And in Matthew's account, if you read all the instructions Matthew gives prior to that, he also tells them to raise the dead. Now, we didn't see that in Luke's account, but Matthew's account says that. And so now those 12 have went out on that solo flight, you might say, and they've just returned from that very successful evangelistic effort there in the towns and villages of Galilee. And so all of their efforts probably had increased Jesus' popularity. When people saw what they did and who they represented, they wanted to come and see the man himself. The death of John the Baptist had caused, I think, many of John's disciples to turn to Jesus for leadership. I think that probably helped increase the enthusiasm and the number of people that would come. And the Passover, one of the three annual feasts with required attendance for all Jewish males that were able was soon to be observed, which made it an excellent time for assembling a great multitude because many of the people would have already so arranged their schedules to make the pilgrimage south down to Jerusalem. And they could, therefore, be more easily caught up by the enthusiasm that was surrounding Jesus and all the signs and miracles that were accompanying that. John 6, verse 2, 
tells us the people were following Jesus because they were seeing the signs. They were seeing the miracles. The problem was they weren't connecting the dots. They just weren't. Jesus had told these people that the very works that he did bore witness to the fact that the Father in heaven had sent him. So what should the people, what what should they take from that? If the Father has sent him and he's performing all these signs and miracles, this must be the Messiah. And yet they weren't connecting the dots. They just weren't getting that. Now some of the people were wondering, but just wondering about it didn't cut it. It seemed that all they were seeing were the signs and the miracles, but they weren't really seeing the one that the signs and the miracles pointed to. So from all over Galilee and the surrounding areas, these happy, enthusiastic people were coming and they assembled in a grassy, deserted area overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And there Jesus taught them and healed their sick and labored with them throughout the day. And then realizing they'd been a long time without food, he showed his compassion by miraculously multiplying the five loaves and the two fish so there was enough food to feed every person present. The crowd included 5,000 men, and Matthew's account adds women and children were there as well. And so this miracle added to the other factors that we've mentioned, I think just raised the enthusiasm thermometer of the multitude to the exploding point. They wanted then to make Jesus their king. But to prevent that, Jesus sent away the twelve by ship. He attempted to dismiss the multitude. And then he departed into a nearby mountain for some private prayer. So let's read these verses this morning and then get into it a little deeper. Beginning in verse 10, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the multitudes were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. The day began to decline. The twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. It's interesting, just when you get home sometime, just take and read all four of the accounts of this. Matthew 14, I think it is, Mark 6, John 6, I hope those chapters are right, but just find those accounts 
and read all of them together to get the full picture. But the apostles here, they've returned from their first solo flight. It had been absolutely and fabulously successful. I'm sure they're excited to gather around the Master Jesus and tell him about all their victories, the healings, the great crowds, the repentance of some people, casting out demons, raising someone from the dead. And just considering the nature of some of these guys, I just wonder if some of them were trying to top the other guys. You know, you think that's great, listen to what I did, okay? And I just think there was a lot of excitement about that, and I'm sure Jesus listened with enthusiasm and patience. But in the midst of it, if you read Matthew's account in Matthew 14, there's a delegation of John's disciples that come right in that time to inform Jesus of the murder of John by Herod. And don't you think Jesus would have felt that loss deeply and personally? John was his relative. John was his forerunner. John was his friend. Jesus himself said that among those born of women, there was no one greater than John coming from Jesus. Wow, what a statement. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, aside from Jesus himself. And so Jesus here, I think, is trying to balance these opposite emotions, these conflicting emotions, joy for his apostles, sorrow over the murder of John by Herod. So seeking to get away for some rest and some quiet time, away from the crowds and to reflect on the recent events and to consider what lie ahead for them, Jesus tries to, to get the apostles, the disciples, to a place where they can just be alone. They hadn't even had a chance to eat, they'd been so busy. So they left by boat and they went to a solitary place, but as they get in the boat, and I think Mark's account gives us a little bit of this, the crowds, I think, probably watched their sail to see what direction they're headed. And they ran around the lake, and some of them even beat Jesus and those men to the other side. And so Jesus, as tired and hungry as he was, is moved by these people's needs. He's moved also by their ignorance, their need of teaching. He's moved by their sicknesses and their need of healing. He's moved by their hunger and their need of feeding. He's moved by their eagerness and their need for a Messiah. About two miles north of where the Jordan River enters into the Sea of Galilee, there's a convenient place there to cross the Jordan River. About a mile further near Bethsaida Julius is a wide grassy plain. And right to the north of that plain is a hill, is a hill which is believed to have been the hill that Jesus would have climbed to accommodate these crowds. We visited there in 2010. It's a very beautiful place just looking right down over the Sea of Galilee. It had to have been quite a spectacle, 5,000 men plus women and children. Who knows what the total number was? A lot of scholars speculate there would have been as many as 15,000 there. Why were so many people present? 
Well, we've already touched on that to a certain degree, but as I've already said, John tells us in John 6, verse 4, that the Jewish Passover feast was near, the third Passover of Jesus' ministry. So he's entering the last year of his ministry. He will be arrested, tried, and crucified during the fourth Passover that he attends. So many people are traveling. They're ready to head south to Jerusalem. And so Jesus began to teach this multitude many things. Isn't it interesting that we don't have a record of what he said? There are other occasions where we do, and we have many of the teachings of Jesus, especially of the parables and things. But on this occasion, which all four gospel writers include, we don't have a record of his sermon. So late in the day, his disciples tell him, Send the crowd away. They need to find a place to stay for the night. They need to find some food to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, in John's record of this, in John 6, John's account says that he asked Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? (laughs) And Philip said, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. A denarii was one day's wage. So Philip says, 200 days' wages wouldn't feed these people. 200 denarii. And Andrew, according to John's account, who always seemed to be bringing people to Jesus. You remember when the Greeks came, they came to Andrew and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. And, and so Andrew's always seeming to bring people to Jesus. Andrew's the one that says, well, there's a young lad here with five loaves and two fish. Now, don't get the idea that those were large loaves of bread or large fish. I I would tend to think more of sardines in a can or something. Okay, I, I don't know how big they were. And so, Jesus told them to have the people to sit down in groups of about 50. There on the grass, groups of 50, I think one of the other accounts say groups of 50 and groups of 100. Luke tells us here in verse 16 that he blessed the bread and broke the loaves. In John's account, in John 6, verse 11, prior to breaking the bread, it says, having given thanks. How appropriate. And this is Thanksgiving week. Have you always and are you always giving thanks for everything God gives to you? My mind runs a little bit weird at times. If you know me, you probably realize that. Who created the food? Jesus did. Who created the heavens and the earth and all that exists? Jesus did. And it makes me think, okay, Jesus is saying, thank you, me. No, I mean, he's thanking the Father, but he's the the activation of creation and everything. But yet, he and the Father were one. But he gave thanks. What a great example. Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. But Jesus gave thanks. Take time to do that this week. And be specific like the song that 
that we were led in this morning. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Don't use time savers in prayer. God, thank you for all the many blessings you've bestowed upon us. And you never stop to think of a single one of them. Think about them. Think about it. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. He, 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 the, he multiplied it right in his very hands, evidently. And he gave it all to the disciples to set before the people. He divides those two fish among them all. They all ate. They're satisfied. The disciples pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. No mention is given in any of the four gospel accounts as to how the miracle occurred. They don't tell us that. It just tells us what Jesus did. It does not tell us how. I'm assuming it just happened in his hands that he just kept and it would reappear. He just, I mean, that's what I see in my mind's eye. But why doesn't it tell us how it appeared, how, how it happened? Because that's not important. That's not important. What is important? That he did it and connecting this miracle to his identity. That's what's important. When the people saw it, they should think what? Who is this man? They should have connected the dots. And in John's account, it does say that after the people saw the miraculous sign Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now who and what are they referring to? Well, they're referring to the prophecy given by Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy 18.15, where he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And if they would have listened and obeyed Jesus, they would have been on the right track. But sadly, though, they didn't. So let's make some observations about this. Some of this I know I've taught before, so if you've already got notes in your Bible, that's okay. doesn't hurt to be reminded. But one of the observations is that Jesus desired these people should be fed. He had compassion on them. And even though he was tired himself and hungry and this was an inconvenience and an interruption and he was trying to get away for some private time with his disciples, he still wanted to meet these people's needs. He had that compassion. He had no intention of just entertaining them with miracles. He knew they were hungry, just as he knows that there are multitudes today that are hungry, whose greatest need is the bread of life, and that's who he is. And so out of his great compassion, he offered them not only physical bread, he offered them the true bread, the living bread, himself, the bread of life. We need that same compassion. We need that same desire in our efforts to connect with others. And we need to offer them the living bread, the bread of life, because that's the only thing that can truly satisfy now, we have people here every week that give out physical food, and there are people that need that. It's hard sometimes for people to listen for, to the, for about the spiritual food when their stomach's growling. Missionaries learned that a long time ago. 
And that's why it was important for them to be able to feed the people with the physical bread so that they could gain their attention to give them the real bread. And we need to be willing in our efforts to give them the bread of life. Jesus desired those people should be fed. We need to have that same desire, that same compassion to take Jesus to the people. But the second thing, Jesus knew where the supply would come from. Yeah, he asked Philip where they could buy bread for all those people in John 6, verse 5. But the very next verse in John's account says he knew what he would do. <laughs> he knew what he would do. And by the way, why didn't these people have food with them? And I don't know that I can answer that question. If they are prepared to travel south to Jerusalem, they're going to take food with them. I mean, they had the baskets there to pick up the leftovers. Why didn't they have food in the baskets? I mean, anytime you planned a trip to worship and sacrifice at Jerusalem, you're going to take your own food in those baskets so that you wouldn't eat anything that might defile you and keep you from worshiping once you got there. And so the multitudes, they're going to Jerusalem. Where in the world is their food? I don't know. Maybe this was just a spontaneous type of meeting that people in their excitement ran to and left their supplies at home knowing they're going to go back before they head south. Maybe it's that. Maybe they hadn't purchased their food yet. Maybe they hadn't packed it yet. Doesn't matter. Jesus knew what he would do. He didn't need anybody to advise him. He didn't need anybody to find a solution for him, even though he's, he's kind of testing the faith of his men there. But he knew what he would do, not what he would try to do, not what we, he would hope to do. He knew what he would do. And we need to understand that our supply is from the Lord and that everything we have is from him. And that should lead us indeed to be thankful and have grateful hearts. But before he does it, before he performs a miracle, he does seek the thoughtful interest of his followers. It's a test to their faith. He says, where are we going to buy bread? Now he knew what he would do, but he wanted to exercise the minds and hearts of his disciples about this great and needful business of feeding the hungry multitude. And notice he said, we, not you, where are you going to buy? No, where are we, he said. Jesus was declaring a, a community of interest between him and his followers. But it makes me wonder if Jesus stood before us today to test our faith, what question might he ask us? I don't have an answer to my own question. But it's food for thought. What would Jesus ask us if he stood right here in our presence today how would he test our faith and would we pass the test Jesus made use of little gifts that boy had five barley loaves and two small fish how could so little do so much well nothing's impossible when you put it in the hands of Jesus the creator Jesus has always made use. God has always made use of little things. I mean, he that created the heavens and the earth knows the true worth of a little thing when placed in his hand. 
What do you got in your hands? What do you have, however seemingly small you may think it is, what do you have that you can place in the hands of the Lord and just watch Him do amazing things? Little boy had five loaves and two fish. Look what happened. What did Moses have in his hand? Just a staff. Look what took place with that staff. What did David have in his hand? Just a sling and a stone. Look what happened. So what do you have? What do you have? That boy had five loaves and two fish. What are you doing with your fives and twos? You got five toes on two feet and five fingers on two hands. What are you doing with your fives and twos? Little becomes much in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus, he's all sufficient for this emergency. Because the source of the supply was in himself, not in what was given to him. And through his almighty power, he makes little things become big things. Jesus is always all sufficient. And he fed the hungry through his own disciples. You see, Jesus didn't give the food to the people himself. He gave the food to the disciples who in turn gave it to the multitudes. By themselves, the disciples couldn't do a thing to feed that crowd. But through Jesus, they could do everything that was needed. God loves to work through people. And he wants to work through you and me. And just like the disciples of old, we're greatly privileged in having this heavenly bread committed to us. But like them, we would be very guilty if we stored it up instead of delivering it to the starving multitudes for whom it's intended. So how much bread is available for us to give to the needy of the world, spiritually speaking? How much? All that's needed. So we have the supply, right? Right? Yeah. What's lacking? Say it louder. Us. Why? You don't have to answer that one out loud. Food for thought. The supply's there. God wants us to feed people in His name. Not just physical food, but to give them the bread of life. He chooses to work through people. That's you and me. Freely you've received, freely give. And give to all regardless because every person needs the bread of life. Luke says to give and it will be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and running over. And Jesus provided enough for all. There's no lack in the supply. These people ate as much as they wanted. If anybody went away hungry it was their own fault. And in Christ there is bread enough and despair for the unfed millions. That are still trying to feed on things that will not satisfy. Christ himself is the bread of life. He's all sufficient to satisfy the hunger of all that will come to him. The real question is, are we hungry for what Jesus offers? 
And we will come to a lot of people that aren't hungry. Or if they are hungry, they don't realize what will truly satisfy. And that's the message this morning. We're going to come to a time of decision. Commitment time. Do we need to feed hungry people? Yes, we do. Both the physically and the spiritually hungry. We need to place our little in his hands and watch him multiply it in ways that we just don't understand. We need need to let God work through us, not sit on our hands, not just be a spectator. God wants to work through you and me to feed the world, at least our part of it. And if you're lost this morning and looking for that which will truly satisfy You can leave here today with that because Jesus is the bread of life. He alone can satisfy your soul. Lately in this series, we've seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle. He calmed the storm. He cast demons into a group of pigs. He healed a woman of a hemorrhage she'd had for 12 years. He raised a little girl, Jairus' daughter, from the dead. He gave his disciples the power and the authority to do the same type of things. Now he's fed over 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Are you connecting the dots? Who is this man called Jesus? It's interesting here in Luke's account, immediately following this, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, the Christ of God, the Messiah. And that's where all of these miracles should lead you. That should be the conclusion we all reach. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Redeemer of all mankind for all that will accept Him as their Lord and Savior. He is the greatest gift, as you mentioned this morning, that the world has ever known and that anyone could ever receive. And of all the things we have that we should be thankful for, the gift of Jesus far surpasses everything else. Do you know him? Do you need him? And if you need him today, why not leave here with him? You can do that. And if you need to make that type of decision to accept Christ, you step out, come forward, you meet me down here in front as we stand, as we sing.